Lord, that's so true. It really is all about you. Nothing else matters in life. Nothing else compares. And Lord, I just pray right now that as we go to, to, to your word, your precious word, that every single heart here would be prepared to receive from you. And again, we thank you that you are a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. I pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning who are going through difficult times in life, Lord, that they'd be strengthened and encouraged by your word. We love you and we praise you so very much. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. If you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand because you're going to need it. Amen? Amen. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Get that thing out, right? So raise your hand and if you need to take that home with you, feel free to take it home as our gift. Um, we don't want you to be without the Word. So we come this morning to Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 10. Pretty familiar verse somewhere in this chapter, right? The theme verse for Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And this morning we're going to continue to look at the epistle or the letter to the church in Rome written by the Apostle Paul. And as we go, we've been going through the New Testament, we saw in the Gospels the, the works and the words of Jesus Christ, who He is, why He came, how He lived, the fact that He is indeed God made manifest in the flesh, that He suffered and died, that He rose from the dead, and only through Him we can be saved. Then after the Gospels, we got to the book of Acts, and Acts is really best entitled the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we saw the Holy Spirit falling upon the first century church and how God used them in a mighty way to reach the known world with the gospel. Then we get to, to Romans, and Romans really changes a little bit what we've seen so far in the New Testament because it's a letter written by Paul to a church that he has yet to visit. It's in the most metropolitan place in the world at the time. They're very wealthy, but it's also very godless. And that's this church living in the midst of a godless city. Sound familiar? And so we see as he writes this letter to the church in Rome that he gives them what is called doctrine. Doctrine is just a big word for biblical teaching. It's a great book for really understanding why Jesus came. And so the first three chapters, as we saw, we looked at the doctrine of sin. That all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. You will not understand your need for a Savior until you understand first that you are a sinner. So if no one's told you before, let's make sure you hear it today. You're a sinner. Amen? And I'm a sinner, and we're all in desperate need of a Savior. And so in those first three chapters, we saw that, we have all, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's interesting, when you look up that word all in the original language, it means all. And you're part of all, amen? And all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We then move from the doctrine of sin to the doctrine of salvation, or justification. Remember, justification, just as if you've never sinned. We've all got this sin problem. God can't have one sin in heaven or He's got earth part two. So how do we deal with the sin problem in our lives? You can't be good enough, you can't work hard enough to get rid of your sin. Well, that's what the doctrine of salvation is all about. It's about the fact that Jesus paid the price for you. It's not you trying harder, it's not you doing good enough works so that God will love you. I want you to know this morning that He already loves you. And you can't do any more to make Him love you anymore. He already loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And again, justification, just as if you've never sinned. If you ask Jesus to be your Savior, as we're going to see this morning in the text, if you confess you're a sinner and your need for Him as a Savior, He will separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will remember it no more. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? 
And so we move on from the doctrine of, of sin to the doctrine of salvation, and then we began to look at the doctrine of sanctification. And what sanctification means just means living a life set apart to God. God didn't save us so we could be the biggest, fattest sheep in town. Amen? He didn't save us to be big pew potatoes and just get fed and lay around and not live for Him. He saved us that we might be used for His glory. And while our salvation is fully reliant upon Him and His work on the cross, He desires that we walk in holiness. Not that, not that we have, are obedient to prove that we love Him, but because He loves us and has worked in us, we walk in obedience. And so we saw sanctification being set apart. Not just Christ dying for me, but now Christ living in me. If you're a new creation in Christ, if you've been born again, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, has come to live inside of you. What an awesome thing. So we saw the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of salvation, and then the doctrine of sanctification. We saw two extremes when we were looking at sanctification. One is called license, which means, hey, I've got the get-out-of-hell-free card, I can live like the world. The other one's legalism, the other extreme, where I've got to do all these works, and neither one of those is true. The reality is, again, it's not by our works that we are saved. It's by grace. Amen? And at the same time, we should not just go out and live like the world because as new creations in Christ, we should be different. So then we get finally to where we are now, and that's looking at the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty. And this is something that people struggle with. It's something that people really have a difficulty understanding that, yes, God is in control, and God knows everything, and God chose and predestined and elected those who would be born again. He knew who they were going to be before the foundation of the world, but at the same time, we all have free will to to accept or reject Him. And some people say, well, how is that possible? How can God know and we still have free will? Because He's God. Amen? God is greater than we are. We try to understand God with our little finite minds and we're always going to get a headache. We've talked about this before, that He created time and He created space. There was no space till He said there was space. It went a headache. There you go, right? He was all, where was He 10 billion years? He was there. Where was He before that? He was always there. There's another, right? Headache. Understanding, though, that God knows everything. He know, he's numbered the hairs on your head and He knows which of you will accept Him and which of you will reject Him but He doesn't force you to accept Him or reject Him. He gives you free will. You know what? It wouldn't be love if we were forced to love Him. Amen? We'd just be a bunch of robots walking around. I chose to, you know, right? When I was a youth pastor, I used to say to kids in the youth group, you know, when you get older and you get married, would you like to have someone get hit over the head and have injected with a shot and forced to love you? Or would you rather have somebody who got to know you, and as they got to know you, they fell in love with you, and they wanted to spend the rest of their life with you uh, because of their their own choice and and free will to love you. And everybody always says, well, I want them to fall in love with me, and so does our God. Amen? He loves us, and He desires that we fall in love with Him. And you know what? It's real easy to do if you get to know our Savior. And so, let's pick up, and we're going to take a look as we look at sovereignty, because last week... We saw the sovereignty of God, that Israel, God's chosen people, had been blessed incredibly. They'd been adopted, or His chosen people. God had, given, had, had had His glory upon them. He'd given them the covenants or the promises. He'd given them the law, His word. They had the, the Messiah delivered to them, all these blessings upon them, and yet they still walked in rebellion. Why is that? Because 
God will not force himself on anybody. So last week we saw the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, that God knows all things, God is in charge, and he knows who will accept him and who will reject him. And this morning, we're going to see the other portion of that. And, and it's real important that you understand something really clearly, that there are two biblical truths that cannot be separated. One of them is that God is in control and He knows everything. And the other one is that you and I have free will to accept or reject Him. Both of those things are equally true. And if you go to one extreme or the other, what you do is you either make God a God who doesn't love everyone, who didn't die for everyone, or you make it a works-based salvation where I have to achieve it on my own. Understand there is both free will and God knows everything at the same time. He's in control, and He allows us to accept Him or reject Him on our own. Remember again that sovereignty proves that God has offered it universally to everyone, but again, it must be accepted individually. So, as we come to chapter 10, we're going to see, continue to see as the human responsibility of man and the, and the act of free will that all of us have. Again, last week, sovereignty of God. This week, the free will of men. We're also going to see that even though Israel is God's chosen people, that for the most part, they have chosen to reject Him. Now, I want to say this really clearly, that God loves the Jewish people. Amen? They're His chosen people. But you know what? He loves you just as much. Amen? And He loves the Gentiles and the Jews just the same. Now, He still has a future plan for the Jews. We're going to see that in Romans 11 next week. But I want, to, I want you to also understand that right now, just like the Muslims are in rebellion, just like the, the United States is in rebellion, so too is the Jewish nation in rebellion. But God still loves them. And so this morning, we're going to see that, that free will. And we're going to see that as Paul writes this letter, that his heart is still broken for his people, that he still has a passion for them that they be righteous and have right standing before God. But we also must understand that our right standing doesn't come by our good works, but by the work that He did for us on the cross. So we're going to see Israel in their ignorance, again, choosing to try to reach God their own way. We're going to see the contrast between true righteousness and man's attempt to be righteous. We're going to see what salvation really is. We're going to see the source of true faith. And then lastly, we're going to see God's sovereign hand upon Israel. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at human responsibility or free will that you and I all have to either accept or reject Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be what? Saved. His desire, his passion, his heart for his brethren... Israel is that they might be saved. Now we've talked about this repeatedly, that Paul was a man who was the Jew of Jews, but at the same time when he became a Christian, how did the Jews respond to him? How did they feel about Paul? What were they doing to him? They were beating him. He was stoned outside a city gate and left for dead. Remember what happened in the book of Acts that a group of them said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill that guy. Remember that? They, had him, they were grabbed a hold of him, were trying to pull him into pieces at one point, and they tried to kill him. And remember that as soon as he escaped, he went up with these soldiers, and this mob was pressing in and wanting him dead. And what did he do? He raised his hand and preached Jesus to him. Paul's an awesome guy. 
And we see here that even though the Jews want him dead, he wants them saved. He desires that they would come to know Christ. His heart is broken for them. And may we have that same heart that even those people who maybe from the world's perspective don't like you much, that boss that has it in for you, that coworker, or even someone maybe in your own family that you butt heads with all the time, and maybe they're difficult to be around, can I encourage you to have Paul's heart? Because it says here again that his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. They've beaten him, they've taken vows to see him dead, but Paul loved the children of Israel. But I want you to see something here, that his heart's desire led to something. It's one thing to say that I have a burden for something, and it's another thing to do something about it. It's real easy to say I have a burden for the lost, but to never share my faith ever with anybody. Do I really have a burden if I never share my faith? The answer is no. And Paul, we see, his burden is borne out in what? Look what it says, my heart's desire and what is the word there? Prayer. His burden led him to pray. And you know, I'll tell you, there's something that we need to do more of in the church today, at least I know I do, and that's pray more. How many need to pray more? Raise your hand. Amen? Hands on up, you're lying, right? The reality is that true faith should produce an action. And when was the last time that you truly interceded on behalf of other people, especially those who mistreat you? The word their desire, his heart's desire, is the word purpose. His heart's purpose was to see other people saved. Again, Israel considered the fact that they didn't need to be saved. Paul knew that they needed to be. And Paul prayed for them. You know what? Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It what? It changes our hearts. And as you start praying for those who are, your, are quote, your enemies and those who come against you, or, or those in your family that don't know the Lord, or the co-worker down the hall, you're going to see your own heart melt away. You're going to see the way that you feel about people change. You're going to realize, man, that guy needs the Lord. That gal needs the Lord. You know, Lord, break my heart for him. Can I tell you that I have a supernatural love for you guys, but you know what really gives me a greatest love for you guys? is I go through that directory every week and I pray for every one of you by name. And you know what happens? It makes me love you more. I can't wait to see you. Why am I always hugging on you guys, right? Because I love you guys. And what happens is God just breaks my heart for you. And you know what? When we fall in love with the Lord and we start having a burden for people, it should produce an action within us to begin to pray for them, to, to reach out to those people. Pray for divine appointments. You know what? Divine appointments happen every day. Amen. We just miss them most of the time. You know, you, you go into the store, you go, you, know, you go down to the Little League field or you know, wherever I'm spending my time, and I look around and realize here's an opportunity all day, every day to share the love of God with people. Amen? And may we have Paul's heart. May we take that heart and that burden and have it produce action in our lives. And he had a burden even for those very people that wanted him dead. Israel thought they didn't need salvation, and he knew that they did. He knew they wanted him dead and he wanted them saved. What a great example Paul is for every one of us. Verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Were the Jews zealous people? Absolutely. Do you know they still are today? Those of you who went to Israel with us, you go to the Wailing Wall and they've got their prayer shawls on, their phylacteries with with the scriptures in them, and they spend hours 
going through their prayers. They're very religious. And are, there are many other people besides just the Jews today who are very, very religious. Very, very zealous. But you know what? No matter how sincere they are, and no matter how zealous they are, they need Jesus. Amen? If you're zealous for something that is not true, it's not going to do you any good. You can be as zealous as you want in believing that 2 plus 2 is 5. Right? You can have a 2 plus 2 is 5 rally, right? You can walk around with 2 plus 2 is 5 t-shirts. You can go knocking door to door and tell people 2 plus 2 is 5. And you know what? You're wrong. Amen? And yet there are people that are zealous for things that are just as much a lie. They're zealous for false gods. They're zealous for false truths. Were the guys that flew into the Twin Towers, were they zealous? Without a question. But does zeal mean that it's true? Absolutely not. Those guys were zealous. They thought when they flew into the Twin Towers, you know what they were told? That when you fly into there, you're going to die and you're going to appear in heaven and you're going to have 70 virgins and and several palaces to live in. Whoops. Now what happened, amen? They hit the tower and guess where they were? Weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. Not quite 70 virgins in a palace. You were zealous and you were wrong. And sadly, we can be very zealous, and they were zealous, it says there, without what? Without knowledge. They didn't understand. They didn't truly grasp the truth. The word there for zealous is passionate, fervent, or the word in Greek is heat. There, There was heat, man. These guys believed it with their whole heart. And the reality, again, is it doesn't matter how much you believe it. It doesn't change what the truth really is. If you don't believe in gravity, and you step off a 50-story building, I don't care how zealous you are, you are splattering on the sidewalk. Amen? I don't believe! Right? What you believe does not make it true. And these Jewish people were in rebellion. Why? Because everything had been pointing to the coming Messiah. And the Messiah had come, and they missed Him. All All the religious things that they did, the temple, the tabernacle, All the sacrifices, all the feasts were all pointing to Jesus. And when he came, they missed him. And sadly, they were zealous, but they were zealously wrong. And sadly, today, you see the very same thing happening in the world around us. I equate it to running full speed in the dark. And so often we see that. People running full speed, they're zealous, and they have no idea what the truth really is. The world around us so often is zealous for a lie because they don't want to face the truth. Now, who can relate to being zealous for a lie more than just about anybody? Paul, the guy writing this letter, was there anybody more zealous than him? What was he doing when he got saved? He was riding on the road to Damascus to go and attack Christians. Saul of Tarsus. Everybody was scared spitless of him. When he got saved, the Christians didn't believe it. You remember that? They're like, oh, no, 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 no. We, we, no. That's a trick, right? They didn't believe it. They said, get that guy out of here. We don't believe that he could have been saved. And Saul was a guy who was zealous for a lie, and now he knows the truth. And look, I want you to see clearly, he's not slamming the Jews as much as he is burdened for them. He's saying they're zealous for a lie. Lord, open their eyes to the truth. Let them see. Somebody knocks on your door that's zealous for a lie. Don't slam the door in their face as much as share the love of God with them. Now, if they won't receive it, send them on their way. But love them, amen? It's kindness that leads people to repentance, not self-righteousness. 
And so Paul has a burden for these people. And again, you can be zealous for a lie. You bet. But you can also be walking in ignorance, just as many are today. It says in verse 3, For they being ignorant to God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Here's the truest sign of all that somebody is zealous for a lie. They're trying to get to heaven their own way. Do you know that every cult has something in common? Let me tell you what all cults have in common. Every cult makes God less than He is and man more than He is. Every cult tells you, you've got to work your way. You've got to do these steps. You've got to keep this program. You've got to do these things, and then maybe, just maybe, if you're in the top half, you'll get into heaven. And it's the way they motivate people. You've got to knock on 500 doors every Saturday and hand out some magazines, wake some people up, right? And, and you've got to do that every Saturday, and maybe you'll get into heaven. You've got to keep these rules. You've got to keep these regulations. You've got to do the things that the church tells you to do. And if you don't do them, you can't get in. Instead of understanding, it's God's grace that saves us. Amen? So we see here that zeal often is followed up by men trying to be righteous in and of themselves because they're ignorant to the truth about salvation. Can I, again, I'll say it one more time. We are not saved because of anything we do. We are saved because of what He did for us. Amen? Now, we accept it or reject it. And God, as we're going to see as we go through the chapter, that's our calling is to accept or reject that work. But it's not works that save us. It is a free gift. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If it was works, it wouldn't be a free gift. It would be a paycheck. Amen? If we had to work for salvation, He would just be paying us off for the work that we did. But it's a free gift. These guys were zealous for the law. And the sad part about it is, these guys were seeking to establish their own righteousness by keeping the very thing that proved that they couldn't be righteous. What is the law? It's a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. When you open up and you look at the law, what does it show you? It shows you that you've fallen short. What is sin? Sin is an archery term. You take a bow and an arrow, you aim it at a, you aim it at a target, and wherever you're arrow lands, the distance between where it lands and the bullseye is called the sin distance. It is the separation from perfection. And when you look at the law, it makes you realize that you are a sinner. And sadly, what the Jewish people did was they said, let me take that law and make that my way to be saved. But you can't do it. You cannot keep it all. How many of you sinned this week? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, you blew it. You're done, right? Both my hands are up. What did Paul say? I am the chief of sinners. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Because when we study the Word of God, what we see is so clear that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And it should convict us and bring us to the end of ourselves and make us cry out to Him, not to say, oh, we've got to keep all the laws now. And you know what the Jews did? The Word of God wasn't enough, so they gave more laws on top of it. Which blows me away because you can't even keep the ones you got. Right? I told you this before. I, I met a man and he told me there's 252 laws he must keep. I'm like, how's that working out? <laughs> oh, it's very difficult. Dude, it ain't difficult. It's impossible. <laughs> you can't do it. Oh, it's very difficult. Oh, I just, I'm, I'm under such a burden. I go, man, that breaks my heart because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. And when you come to know Christ, there's no burden. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
And we walk around with joy and peace because we know that we're heaven-bound and we're not trying every day to do better so that God will love us and failing every time. And what a, what a vicious cycle that is. Getting up, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to make that mistake. I need to do it again. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen? And when you do, what do you, oh man, and you can just be burdened unless you understand it's by grace we have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And these guys don't, don't understand God's righteousness through Jesus and His shed blood on the cross, and they're trying to do it themselves. And because of that, they continue to fall short, and they continue to be burdened, they continue to be overwhelmed. They were very, very, very religious people. They walked around, the Pharisees with the black robes, right? They had the prayer show, they had everything working. And boy, you'd look at it from a distance and go, wow, those guys are religious. They love to stand on a street corner and pray out loud and let everybody know. Make sure I'm, make sure I'm on, on the corner of, of, you know, ocean and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, ocean and water, right, at, at noon so I can stand in the middle of the street and pray and everybody can see me and see how holy I am. Here's the reality, guys, as we spend more time with the Lord, what happens is we realize how unholy we are and how desperate for Him we must be. And we see here that the Jews, again, are very religious but have no relationship. And you know what? The same is still true today. There are a lot of people that are very religious but have no relationship with God. People ask me, are you a religious man? And I'll be honest with you, I don't like that word. I don't like it. You know why I don't like it? Because what it's meant to come to mean today. You know what it's come to mean? It's come to be a bunch of works. It's come to be in a bunch of regulations and a bunch of rules and me somehow achieving godliness and holiness by something I do. Now, what originally meant religion, right? Relingara means to relink. Relinking, reconnecting sinful man back to holy God. And it's all about a relationship. Hey guys, if you're religious... You need to have a relationship, amen? My prayer is that you know, not just know about God, but you have an intimate relationship with Him. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Are you hanging out with Him every day? Is He walking with you? That's relationship, not religion. And sadly, it says here that being ignorant of God's righteousness, they seek to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. Guys, if you're trying to do it your way, you'll always fall short. They're zealous for God, but their sin was not dealt with. Their sin was still not paid for. Because good works does not wipe away sin. Being, giving to charity won't take care of your sin problem. you still got a sin problem. So how do I get rid of my sin? Only one way, and that's through the cross. Again, even today in Israel, they don't, they don't make sacrifices anymore. Did you know that? They're not dragging lambs in and and having, now they're talking about rebuilding the temple and I believe it'll happen during the tribulation but here's the thing they believe now it's good works that'll get them in because they're not sacrificing I even asked a guy well how come you guys aren't sacrificing lambs anymore help me out with that he said well you know we just believe our good works well time out you still got an SIN problem right amen and something's got to pay for our sin and praise God that it's not something that we do what did Jesus say in the garden right before he died Right before he was crucified. He prayed and he said, Father, if, and on this, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way that people can get to heaven, if there's any other way that their sin can be paid for, then I don't want to go through this. What happened? He went through it. Why? Because there's no other way. Amen? 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. If there were other ways, why did Jesus have to suffer and die? If we could be good enough, why is there even a cross? If we could do it by knocking on doors, if we could do it by going to church on a regular basis, if we could do it by crawling on our knees on glass to Mecca, if we could do it by keeping some rules or regulations, why did this have to happen? It happened because there is no other way. There's no other path. There's no other hope. There's no other life than Jesus Christ. Pastor, that's just narrow, man. You ever been told that? I get told that a lot. A lot. Man, that's just so narrow, man. You know, come on, man. Are you telling me that the people that, that believe in Buddha and are really zealous, you're telling me that they're not going to heaven? I'm not telling you anything. What I'm t- the Bible tells you is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Amen? And Buddha did not die on the cross for you. Big fat guy with oranges in his lap at every restaurant I go to, right? He's not hooking you up with salvation. He can't help you. And sadly, people say, oh, but that's just so narrow. The building's on fire. That's the way out. Uh, 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 that's a little narrow for me. What if we climb through this wall over here with... Ha- Dude, the way out's right there. The building's on fire. That's just a little narrow for me. I need some more options. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. Let me get out of here. Amen? And the reality is that people are trying to broaden the narrow path. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to salvation. And people are trying to broaden the path. How are they trying to broaden the path? By attempting to say, well, God loves everybody and surely He'll save the Muslims and the Buddhists as long as they're really sincere about their faith. You ever heard that? As long as you're sincere, as long as you're zealous... Doesn't matter if you believe two plus two is five, as long as you believe it with your whole heart, right? That's a lie. I'm glad that it's narrow. How about you? Aren't you glad you're not just trying to figure out which one's right and walking around? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he just said, Here it is, guys, I love you. And I died for you. Now, we need to be careful that we are the ones that share with those who are on the broad path the truth. And do it in love. Hey, you know what? The Lord loves you. The building's on fire, the door's right there, guys. What if no? That's the way. Amen? And may we do it with love. And may we do it as one beggar leading another to beggar to the bread. Verses 1 through 3, we saw man's attempt to do things his own way. But we see that we have free will to submit to the Lord, to do things my way, or to do things His way. Now let's look at the contrast between true righteousness and the righteousness that men try to drum up. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the law... What relationship do we have to the law today? What does it say in that verse? Christ is the end of the law. He's the end of the law as far as salvation is concerned. Do we still look at the Old Testament law as a good pattern for life? Yes. Do we still look at the Old Testament law as something that reveals truth to us? Yes. But is it what saves us? No. As far as salvation is concerned, Christ is the end of the law. Instead of letting the law bring them to Christ, they worshiped the law and rejected the Savior. True righteousness. Laws can't make you righteous. Only one thing can. And what is it? It's faith in Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who does a bunch of good works. Is that what it says? For everyone who what? Who believes. How are you saved? By believing. And we're going to see that as we continue on in the text. But man's way of righteousness is not belief. 
It's not confession, it's working harder. I know several people in, the, in this room right now that you came from churches where people cracked a whip at you to work harder and harder and harder, and you were burdened all the time and felt you were never going to measure up good enough to get to heaven. Praise God that you understand His grace now. Amen? You're not under that burden anymore. And you don't feel like, man, I just got to do a little bit more works. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So guys, if you want the law to be your standard, and if you want the law to be your path, then you've got to keep all of it. How many of you have done that? No hands are up, you're lying, you broke it again anyway, amen? The reality is that if you want the law to be your standard, then that's going to be what you're judged by. And when you stand before God with the law next to you, you failed. Remember I told you, I, I, and again, I know some of us are repetitive, we have a lot of new people that come, so those of you who have been here a long time, you know, thanks for being patient, but you know, I, was up in Northern, I was up in Seattle visiting some, some distant relatives, and I had, had an, a great uncle who told me about a neighbor who had just died, and they're talking about they couldn't wait to see him in heaven, and we started talking about him, and they had no idea about who God was or anything, but they said, but he was a good man. And I remember asking him, how many times a day do you think a good man sins? If you're the best man that ever lived, how many times a day do you, you know, thought life, everything? I said, do you think at least three times, you can add zeros to it, but three times a day? Right? Right, three times a an hour of 10 minutes, right? But here's the reality. If he sins three times a day, that's a thousand times a year. This guy was 80 years old. If he was the best man I ever met, he sinned 80,000 times. And if you stand before a judge with 80,000 crimes, what's going to happen to you? Uh, huge fine, right? I mean, you're in trouble, right? But praise God that we're standing before him with more zeros than that after our name, amen? More than 80,000. That might be a a year for some, right? And we stand before him, but here's the good news. He steps forward and says, I'll pay that price. I'll take care of it for you. That's grace. And what he says in this verse, that those who want to make the law their standard, that's what they're going to be judged by. The law is going to be held up next to them and they're going to fall short. Man's attempt to be righteous in and of himself. But look what it says here in verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Righteousness of faith is based on Christ and not works, and it's not us climbing up into heaven to bring Jesus down, or climbing down into the abyss to bring Jesus up, because He doesn't need our help. Amen? Jesus didn't need my help on the cross. I'd have messed it all up. Amen? He doesn't need my help. He descended from heaven without my help. And He rose from the dead without my help. And He doesn't need my good works, and He doesn't meet, need me striving. He doesn't need me to do it. He did it for me. Amen? And it says here, the faith that we have does not require that we bring Christ down or that we pull Him up. He's already done the work. He has triumphed over sin and death. He descended from heaven, He ascended from the grave, and He did it all without my help or yours. But sadly, people today want to work for their salvation often because they just want to have something to brag about. Amen? Don't we want to, oh, I'm just suffering for the Lord. Just suffering for Him. I'm just going through it. Well, stop it. You're not, He suffered for us. Amen? And we, we, you know, oh, but I'm just doing so much for the kingdom. Oh, I'm just working so hard. You know, I'm just giving. He did it. 
To Him be the glory. Amen? And any good that we can do, it's only because of His Holy Spirit living inside of us. Without Him, we can do what? Nothing. And nothing means nothing. So you can do nothing without Him. So any good that comes is because of Him. And praise God again for His love and His grace. Our flesh wants to, to boast in our good works. Our flesh wants to say how much we've sacrificed and how much we've suffered and what great works of righteousness we've done. And that's why I believe that so many people flock to cults. Because it tells them you've got to work your way. Oh, okay, I get that. I can be disciplined. I can be diligent. I can work my way. But they'll never make it. They'll never be good enough. Because without Him, we can never be. Verse 8. But what does it say? The Word of God is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we preach. You know what? Salvation is not far away. Amen? It's not a distant thing. Too often people say, oh, well, tell me about your past. Oh, really? So you're a drug addict. and Oh, and you've, oh you've been divorced 11 times. And you've got... Oh, and you, you, oh you, you've spent time in prison. And oh, man, it, this is going to be a long work for you, man. I'm thinking, this, you're on about the 15-year program. I think you need 12 meetings a day for the next 15 years, right? And isn't that kind of the way that the world wants to work out your salvation, right? What does it say in this verse? It says what? The Word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. Again, it's within your reach. It's easy to understand. You know what? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? It's not a program. It's not a journey. It's not a path. It's not something that requires that you go down this road for years and years and years to maybe someday. You know what? Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Amen? The Bible says again that you can be born again before you leave this place no matter how much you've done. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. One drop of His blood paid for the sins of all mankind. He's given us free will. Now we must either accept or reject that great work. But it's near you. It's not a faraway, distant path. It's not a bunch of things you've got to do to somehow earn it. It's right here. Amen? He holds it out right in front of you and says, this is my offering unto you. Just take it. Again, requires no good works on our part. Simply a repentant heart and faith in Christ and the righteous work that He has done for us. Now let's take a look. How are we saved? What must we do to be saved? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the answer to that question. These next few verses are awesome. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be at step one of the long path. Is that what it says? It says you will be what? Saved. Saved. Praise God. If it says here again, let me read it to you again. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, that's it. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? It's not Jesus plus 15 other things you must do to somehow earn salvation. Now, should we be baptized? Yes. Does baptism necessary for salvation? No. Why? Because if it were, then we would say the cross is not enough. Amen? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. If you haven't been baptized, you should. It's an act of obedience. But it doesn't save you. And too many people are overwhelmed by churches and religions they've gone to that tell them, we well, still got to keep on this path. There's all these other things you got to do. No, you don't. It is finished. Amen? To tell us die. No more. 
He paid the price. It's done if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Confess and believe, not strive, work, and achieve, but confess and believe. Confession means agreeing with. That's what the word means. Agreeing that the Lord Jesus is who He said He is. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the only way to salvation. There's no other way that we can get to heaven apart from Him. That means giving Him the supreme place in your life. Guys, it's not just praying a prayer and then living like the world. It's saying, Lord, I give you my life. Amen? That's repentance. It's saying, you know what? I've done it my way. It's not working out. Lord, I give it to you. You're God. You love me. You know what's best for me? I believe in you. Take it. You know what? You give me your life. You're going to be blessed. Amen? It's, you're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. Does it mean things are going to be perfect? No. But you're not going to be in it alone anymore. Amen? And, and you will be a new creation in Christ, filled with the Spirit of the living God. Not just a mere intellectual agreement, but believing in your heart, it says in the text. You must believe in your heart, the transform, transformation of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, what do we see here? Is he saying, who does he say this is for? It's for everybody. For with the mouth, with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. What makes you righteous? Not good works, but confession. What makes you holy? Confession. What makes you righteous? Belief in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe on Him, that He is God, that He can save you. Enter into that intimate, intimate fellowship with Him. Again, not a hint of works anywhere in here. You see any works in here? You see any, any other rules? You see any other stuff that has to be done? You know why people have works-based salvation? They don't understand God's grace. Amen? If you understand His grace, you'll see that there is no need for any other works. It's by grace that we have been saved. Who can be saved? Look at verse 11. For the Scripture says, whichever of the elect, is that what it says? It says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever the drug addict, the adulterer, the murderer, all of them, amen? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means that I'm part of whoever, amen? And isn't that a blessing and an encouragement? Aren't you glad that you're not sitting here trying to figure out if you're one of the elect or not? Whoever, that means you can be saved, amen? Now, there's still our responsibility to respond. Whoever believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. And I love it because the word there, whoever, I looked it up. You know what it means? It means not part, but all. I like that. Not part, but all. Whoever. The entire group, the whole, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in God's eyes, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. There's neither rich nor poor. There's not black or white or, or brown or any other color. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen? And we're all His children that accept Him as Savior. And He loves us all. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. 
How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How are people going to hear that whoever believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Whose job is that? Whose job is that? If it's your job, raise your hand. It's your job. He didn't save you again just so you could get the get out of hell free card and put it in your wallet and go live like the world. It's, what does he say? He says that whoever believes shall be saved, but how are they going to know unless someone tells them? This is a great verse for missions. This is a great verse for going downtown on Friday night. This is a great verse for sharing with your coworkers and praying for your neighbors by name. Because how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? And look what it says here. Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. I love the fact that it's a gospel of peace, not a gospel of works. Amen? It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of forgiveness. It's not a gospel of joining an organization. It's not a gospel of becoming a part of my church. It's not a gospel of becoming a member. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of salvation that whosoever believes shall be saved. Whoever. That means me, and that means you. Praise God for that. You know what, guys? We all have a mission field, and you're living in it, right? You may be the only Christian in your neighborhood. You may be the only Christian in your office. You may be the only Christian, you know, that that works out at your health club, or one of very few. And God has you there by divine appointment. And may we be sensitive to that, to look around and let those people know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they going to hear if someone is not sent? Notice the, the transition here. The message must be preached, the message must be heard, and the message must be believed. And all need to hear. So how are they going to hear? And the word there for feet equates to work. Because beautiful feet, as far as just reaching out and stepping out and seeking those who've not heard this truth. If you know somebody who doesn't know and understand that they can be saved, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, God's calling us to be the ones to tell them. And look what it says there, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know what? We're not giving people a bummer message, amen? Why do we apologize for it? We get, we get all, oh, well, I don't want to tell them, right? Yeah, the building's on fire, the door's over there, but they might get offended if I tell them that, right? Over here, flames all around them. They're just chucking and jiving with their friends moments until this place is going to burn to the ground. But I don't want to tell them because they, they might think I'm a kook, Right? What if they have questions I can't answer? I better not tell them, right? Shouldn't there be a burden and an urgency in our heart to let everybody know how much Jesus loves them? Amen? Why are we ashamed of that? That's the enemy, isn't it? Right? You know what? It's a lot easier to pray for people than it is to share with people, isn't it? Because it's a lot easier to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God. Pray and ask God to give you boldness. Pray and ask God to give you a greater burden for people. If you start looking at someone and you just love them and you realize, man, they need Jesus so desperately, God will give you boldness in that. Amen? He'll give you a greater passion for them. You'll start opening your mouth. You won't be so worried about what people think about you anymore. Because it's pride that keeps us from sharing most of the time, isn't it? They might not like me if I share. Who am I going to go to lunch with after that? Nobody at work's going to talk to me anymore. Right? I share with them. You know what's even worse? Can you imagine standing on Judgment Day, having everybody from your office standing next to you, 
have them all being drug off into hell, separation from God for all eternity, and looking at you and saying, why didn't you tell me? Amen? Why didn't you tell me? We need to start loving people enough to tell them. Amen? Not being worried about what people think about us, but pointing them to the Savior, that whosoever believes in Him. But but verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, everybody ought to know this one. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. You know what? If you want to have greater faith and a greater passion for God, what do you need to do more of? What do you Read the book. It's right here, guys. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. This is the verse God put in my heart, July 17, 2000, when we started this church with five people. It was the Word is what transforms lives. And that's why the central focus is Christ, but the way that we reveal Him to a lost and dying world is we teach His Word without compromise, every word of it. Amen? When you come, it's the Word that will transform you. It's not your pastor. It's not your organization. It's not being a member of Calvary Chapel. It's God's Word that will transform your life. Faith comes by hearing. You want more faith? Read the Word more. I've had people say, you know, Pastor Dave, I wish I had faith like you. I'd say, you can. Read this as much as I do. Amen? Someone said to John Corson one time, man I, you, man, I wish I knew the Word like you. He said, just read it like I do. You know what the great thing about this? It's on, you got it at home, amen? Maybe we need to turn off the TV once in a while and open this thing up and read it. And when we read God's Word, our faith will increase. Our boldness will increase. Our joy will increase. Our understanding of what life is all about will increase. And so often, we're, man, we're going through a difficult time. We can't figure out what to do. And the, the, you know, the owner's manual is on the desk. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Amen? And this is right here. It's the instruction manual. And we need to get this thing out. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. You want to have greater faith? Spend more time in the book. Amen? Spend more time in His Word. This is not an old, antiquated book. It's the living, breathing Word of God. Amen? And it's His love letter to you. You know, if you, if you went home and a meteor came out of the sky and landed in your backyard, and in the midst of it, in the midst of this meteor was this shining bright envelope with your name on it. And it said, a note from God, specifically for you. How quickly would you open it? You'd be spending whatever, man, you'd be hiring people to get out there with tools to get that thing open, Right? But you know what? That's exactly what this is. Amen? God gave this to us that we might understand and have faith in Him. And I love it says there again, it's glad tidings that it brings. And it's joy that it brings to our hearts. We're almost done. Now lastly, look what it says here. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. The sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. You know, he's talking to the Jews here and he's saying, have they heard the truth? And the answer was yes. And they'd all heard it, but they didn't believe it. The sad part is that it doesn't matter how much we hear it, but it's believing it and putting it into action that makes a difference. If you truly believe what the Bible says, it'll change your life, won't it? It'll change the way that you do everything. It'll change the way that you raise your kids. It'll change the stuff that you watch. It'll change the way you work. It'll change everything about you. And they all had heard it, so they were all accountable. Verse 19 and 20. But I say to you, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. He says, it says in the Word that 
the love of the Gentiles for God will provoke the Jews to jealousy. When they see our love for God, they will be provoked to jealousy. That's the way it ought to be for every unbeliever on this planet, by the way that we love each other and the way that we live our lives. Not that we're perfect, but you know what? When you've got joy in the midst of difficulty, people go, dude, what's up with you? What do you want and where do I get some, right? When the layoffs come out or whatever's going on in life, you can say, hey, man, i got joy. Why? Because I'm going to heaven. My best friend created the universe. He knew all about this. This isn't a surprise to him. My life is in his hands. It's all good. Amen? And it's not false and it's not phony. It's faith and trusting that God is good. Is God good? Does he love you? Does he know what's best for you? Is he trying to bring harm to you or is he trying to bring you that which is best for you? He's bringing that which is best for you. He loves you. Trust him. And you'll trust Him more as you spend more time in His Word. Sadly, Israel was disobedient. Look what it says in verse 21, the last verse. But to Israel He says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, I don't want this to sound like slamming on the Jews. What He's saying is, He's still a God of grace and mercy, isn't He? Because He says, All day long I have stretched out my hand. Is His hand still stretched out? Yes, it is. And we're going to see in Romans chapter 11 that he's not done with the Jews. And he's got a future for them. He's going to do great and awesome things with them. In the end times, they're going to be a great testimony of him. It says they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. And they're going to mourn. They're going to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And isn't it interesting that it says he holds out his what to them? His hand. What would you see in Jesus' hand if it was held out to you? Nail prints. Amen? And he holds out his nail print hands to every one of us this morning. He holds out His hand to you and says, I love you. It doesn't matter how disobedient you've been. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter how much you've blown it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means you. Amen? And I want to just encourage you. Maybe you were brought here by a friend. Maybe you've been coming for a little while. You can walk out of here knowing that you know that you know that you've been born again, that you're a child of the King, and that you're going to heaven. Not because of any good work you've done, but your realization that Jesus Christ indeed is God. That He came to earth. That He suffered and died in your place. That He rose from the dead. That He's coming back. And He desires to have an intimate fellowship with you starting right now. To have His Holy Spirit living inside of you. What do you have to do to have that relationship? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Amen? What a great and awesome promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. And Lord, I do pray. There's even one person here today that doesn't know for sure where their eternal destiny is. That doesn't have the Spirit of the living God living inside of them right now. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray, Lord, that they would not feel so condemned by their past that they would feel unworthy to be saved. But Lord, they would realize that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, Lord, you know us best and you love us most. You see every wicked thing we've ever done or thought, and you love us anyway. What a great God you are. And, Lord, in your sovereignty, you offer salvation to all men, but must be accepted individually. And, Lord, I pray for anybody here that does not know you, that they would not leave here without you, that they would... Make that confession of faith this morning. With every head bowed, Christians be praying for those who may not know the Lord. If you're here this morning, it's as simple as the Bible says. 
If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. I'm not asking you to join an organization or join a church or do anything like that. I'm just saying, I'm giving you, I want to give you an opportunity to just say, yeah, I want to confess him as my Savior. The Bible says you confess him before men, he'll confess you before his Father in heaven. You deny him before men, he'll deny you before his Father in heaven. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just raise your hand and say, I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I'm ready to pray a simple prayer to ask him into my life. Is there anybody here at all? Just raise your hand right where you are. He loves you so very much. Is there anybody? Whosoever, it doesn't matter what you've done, he loves you. Anybody. Lord, I thank you and I praise you again for your love and your grace. And if there is anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, may they be encouraged by your word and may they be brought to a place of confession. And Lord, help us to be like Paul, to be so burdened for the people around us that our heart breaks for them, that it drives us to pray for them, to intercede on their behalf. Lord, we pray you would bring revival in our homes, bring revival in our neighborhoods, bring revival to Santa Cruz County, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.